Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 18 of You, Me, Empathy. On today's episode, I chat with my friend David Grabowski, wherein we explore the idea of disconnected culture. We talk about our technology addiction, our obsession with the hustle. We also talk about commune living, what what that would be like. I personally would love to live in a commune. We talk about living with intentionality, connecting to ourselves, our fellow humans, the food we eat, our environment. We also talk about, and you'll be very excited about this, trundle bundle. And I'm just going to leave that there, and you'll uh, you'll have to figure out what that means by listening to this episode. Uh, the last thing I say before I go is uh, please leave Yumi Empathy a rating and review in iTunes. That would mean the world to me. To maybe inspire you a little bit, I'm going to read a recent review uh, of Yumi Empathy in iTunes. This is from BG. Quote, This podcast is awesome. It keeps me interested throughout. The intros can be a bit long sometimes. Uh, Yes, I'm sorry, BG. That is true. This is... I'm proving my point. I'm proving your point right now. And she continues... But the content after is always interesting. It offers great personal insights on different mental health disorders. I look forward to listening to people talk about even more disorders. This is a great podcast for people going to school for psychology or any other behavioral health fields. I would definitely recommend this podcast! Exclamation point! Ah, thanks so much, BG. And I guess I mentioned that, so uh, maybe you can leave a rating and review of Yumi Empathy in iTunes, and I will read it on the show. Okay, thanks so much for listening. Enjoy my chat with David Grabowski on Disconnected Culture. Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Welcome to episode 19 of You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly, without judgment, about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared shared anxieties and worries, (laughs) to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire conversation and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma. Oh, excuse me. I'm having... 
early morning coffee breath stuff going on here. Oh, I understand. <clears throat> uh, so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being human. Yumi Empathy is a safe place, a conversation between friends, a place to inspire the empathy in each of us. Today in episode 19, I'm darn right ebullient to embark on another empathy journey on the topic of disconnected culture with film composer, across the U.S. trike explorer, and trundle bundle buddy to my heart, David Grabowski. Hello, David. Hey, Nolan. Thank you so much for having me on. And that warm introduction is the only way I want to be introduced from now on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm very happy to have you on. And... Um, the listeners won't really know what Trundle Bundle Buddy means, and maybe we can get into that, or maybe we can leave it a mystery. I don't know. I don't know. It's Both sound like viable options. Yes, I agree. We'll see how the how the chat goes. But um, thanks for being here. Uh, you, uh, The listeners should know that you, uh, like the previous guest, Mindy Hollihan-Peters, uh, we work together. We do. We do. Although work together is kind of a relative term since we are in different parts of, of the country as a remote team, which is yes. it's always kind of interesting to be like, I work with this person who is a face on my computer for 99% of the time I see them. <laughs> well, I'd imagine we're going to get into some of that today uh, uh-huh. in, on the topic of disconnected culture. But uh, before mm-hmm. we get into you and your story, uh, I always like sure. to start the, the show, You Me Empathy, uh, with a check-in, an emotional check-in to see how we're doing. So, David, okay. how are you doing? You know, I'm doing okay. I uh, I slept in today, which is something that does not happen often. I uh, woke up when my son did at 7 and made a big breakfast skillet for my girlfriend and myself and drank some coffee and some water. And now I'm standing in my room uh, watching the sun come up and uh, drinking water and I'm still in my bathrobe. So I'm, I'm doing great. That's a beautiful scene you just painted. I feel, feel very comfortable. Yeah. What was in that uh, breakfast skillet? I minced up some potatoes, threw some bacon in there, get things nice and greasy, poured some of the bacon grease out once stuff started getting nice and crisp and then tossed some eggs in there and some cheese. Yeah, very, very good stuff. That sounds delicious. Uh, you don't want to know what I had for breakfast? I would love to know. So I have coffee next to me. And Excellent. in addition to coffee, I had some raw walnuts and banana chips. Huh. That sounds <laughs> a lot healthier than what I ate. <laughs> well, are you satiated? Do you need to get a snack break? <laughs> That's a very good question and very thoughtful uh, I feel okay right now, but I bring that up because it pales in comparison to your... I would <laughs> think I would rather much have your breakfast skillet. Well, you know, this is why you need to come up to Sacramento. It's true. It's true. For the skillets, that's what they're known for, Sacramento. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that. That sounds... I'm glad you got to uh, sleep in a little bit. I know it's probably... Uh, those moments are few and far between as uh, as a dad. Definitely. Yeah, I'm usually a 4:30 a.m. getter upper, <clears throat> and um, yeah, I think every I, I had that ski trip last weekend, and ever since I came back from that, it's I've just it's been a very tired week, so it was good to good to get a little extra snooze. Nice. Yeah. 
Well, thanks for sharing that. Uh, my emotional check-in this week, uh, two things. I wanted to give the listeners an update if they're following along on my physical therapy journey. Um, I'm calling this update activate butt mode. Uh, <laughs> so I went to the physical therapist. Touch the butt. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Touch the butt. Um, I went to the physical therapist. I have, uh, I've had this left hip pain for a while. I have what's called pit's pit. Uh, it's a, a cyst on my hip, which is caused by just overuse and, and sort of trauma to a specific area on the bone. And the physical therapist is trying to get me to not use what's called the TFL muscle, which is connected to the IT band, um, which is a small muscle compared to the glute. And apparently on my left side, I'm not activating my glute. I'm always like wanting to bring in that TFL muscle Mm -hmm. when I'm being active or whatever. And that's causing, you know, that's, I, I think what they're discovering is that I've been doing that for a long time, and that's why I've had this hip pain issue. So, working on that, and uh, it was very, it was a very humbling uh, experience at physical therapy because, <clears throat> you know, just picture a giant room, probably fifty people or so in there, a mixture of physical therapists and patients and whatnot doing their exercises, and here I am, like walking. A, walking on a treadmill with like, I'm sort of hunched over like at like a, you know, 15 degree angle uh, with my hands on my butt, Um, you know, basically just like walking and and holding on to my butt, um, which, you know, is fine. uh, But, you know, it made me feel a little, a little (laughs) self-conscious. And then, and then of course, after that, I'm asked to get on my hands and knees (laughs) <laughs> and um sort of like position my I'm laughing feet. that you laughed at that <laughs> <laughs> position my feet up against the wall uh as a, doing a sort of like uh inner thigh like groin stretch of sorts like a, it's like a hip stretch is what they call it but essentially i'm humping the ground mm, mm. and Ooh. um yeah i mean talk about an experience that just you know we're all just gross human creatures <laughs> you got to do what you got to do to to help your butt feel better you know yes your hip i guess but wow yes that is pretty comic yeah do you think that like when you're in that position they're actually just like laughing and then you turn around they're like good good no good <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the uh, sort of anxiety <laughs> in my head for sure for sure no, that would be that would be so messed up yeah i know no it's did you it's... end up doing that uh feldenkrais thing that uh ray sent you I, I haven't yet. Um, it just because I think I get a little overwhelmed by all of the things that I need to do. Like, mm-hmm. as someone who has been, you know, a, a soccer player for many, you know, twenty five years, and that's right. That's um, right. I've had lots of injuries over the years and lots of experiences like this in physical therapy and and whatnot. So I am used to it, but I also, you know get a little overwhelmed by like, oh, here are mm-hmm. 10 exercises you have to do every day at home. Mm-hmm. And so you're just thinking like, huh, how am I going to get these into my schedule? And, you know, <laughs> all that stuff. So mm-hmm. um, I haven't done that because I am feeling a little bit overwhelmed. But 
That's where I'm at. I guess I'm just, I bring that up because I wanted to give the listeners an update and also just share that, like, uh, you know, I'm having this pain, this physical pain, but uh, I'm also finding uh, potentially a way uh, out of it where I'm uh, living yeah. uh, with a little less pain, which is exciting. That is a very good thing. I'm yeah. glad to hear that you're pursuing that and I'm glad to see that you're finding some humor in it because life is funny sometimes. Life okay. is funny, I think, most of the time, <clears throat> if not all the time. So, uh, thank you. Thank you for that. Mm-hmm. So, David, sir, yes. Trundle Bundle, <laughs> let's, let's talk about you. Uh, I want okay. to, you know, we work together. As you, as you mentioned, we, we live in different parts of California. We're a remote um, team. Uh, and we've worked together for the last, like, what has it been, like a year and a half or <laughs> not Not even a year yet. Oh, my God. Not even a year. So I, I don't know you that well, um, even though we're Trundle Bundle buddies. Yeah. Do we want to explain the Trundle Bundle thing? I don't know. <laughs> we can explain it. Why don't you explain it? So we go on work retreat in uh, Minneapolis. Well, St. Paul, technically. Mindy would kill me for saying Minneapolis. Good edit. And, <laughs> and uh, we, we, we get there and the Airbnb is not open. And the person who owns the Airbnb that we are renting, which is like a large house that we were all very excited about, is uncommunicative. So everybody's freaking out because we need somewhere to sleep. We ended up booking a different Airbnb last minute that is purported to have the correct number of beds. But it turns out that two of those beds are in one room in what is called a trundle bed, which was something that I was not familiar with. So a trundle bed is like a, it's basically a solution for cramming as many kids as you can into one room. But there's a second bed that pulls out under the first twin bed. (laughs) which is just kind of funny. So Nona and I ended up sleeping in in the Trundle trundle room. So we were the Trundle buddies that weekend, which uh, at first I was just kind of like, you know, been traveling all day. And I'm like, oh man, I have to, and this guy's telling me he farts a lot and I'm going to have to share a, (laughs) share a room with him and be his, be his Trundle. I like to get it all out in the open. I appreciated your your honesty in retrospect, and it turned out that I was by far the the better farter. But uh, <laughs> so anyway, so we we found the humor in it, and now we refer to each other as trundle bundles. Yeah, I think it's adorable, and we made um, you know a situation that for maybe other people potentially mm-hmm. could have been not as uh, enjoyable. Like we made it, yeah. we made mm-hmm. it enjoyable, and we absolutely we became closer through that experience. I think so. I think so. I think we didn't even need the second bed to be, you know. In the no, end. I mean, next time we'll just ask for one bed. Let's <laughs> be like, we're just, we're cool to cuddle, you know. There's <laughs> yeah. nothing wrong with two hetero dudes just cuddling. Not at all. <laughs> well, that's, um, thank you for sharing that. And I think the listeners will enjoy that that little trundle bundle uh, uh, story. Um, <laughs> let's talk about you, David. I want to, uh, we're talking today on the topic of like disconnected culture, which is something that you brought to me. And I, I, I think is an important topic as it pertains to mental health. But before we kind of get into that, I, I want to understand a little bit about your sort of 
I always use the term origin story, and if if Jessica mm. were in the room, she'd roll her eyes, but she's not, so <laughs> take that, <laughs> Jessica. <laughs> um, but I, 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 I do want to sort of learn about your origin story, your childhood, like, and... Oh, boy, we're going back that far. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I guess, you know, as my... Uh, as guest of the show, which I'm excited to say, future, you know, as guest of the show, Paul Gilmartin says, I want to understand some like seminal moments of your childhood and mm-hmm. how, you know, maybe some of these formed who you are today and maybe impact your sort of, you know, your perspective on life as it, as it, as it pertains today, as it pertains mm-hmm. to today, I should say. Okay. So, uh, any seminal moments that sort of, uh, stick out in your brain as being sort of uh, memorable and important to who you are. In my childhood? Ooh, you don't uh, have to go back that far, but like you can just mm-hmm. mention life experience, your whole life up until you, how, however old you are right now. Sure. Yeah, my whole life until right now. That's easy. <laughs> yeah. I got that. Your entire uh, life. Tell me, day one, um, what happened? I'm trying to... Sorry, just a clarifying question. What what exactly are you are you looking for stuff that pertains to like my mental health journey particularly or just like you know what what kind of because there I mean there are so many important moments from my upbringing that I can recall but I don't know. Yeah, I guess I'm uh, I'm trying to what's the most um applicable. That's a good question. Good clarifying question. I guess what I'm trying to get at is a like I want to know a little bit more about you selfishly. Mm-hmm. And B, yeah, like I think uh, mental health is is sort of the the sort of running theme, you know, on this show. And so, um, you know, if 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 the seminal moment or the sort of moment that sticks out your mind uh, sort of uh, connects with each of those things, then great. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, I think I have a a good idea of what to talk about. So I'll just kind of start from when I remember kind of developing personality wise, I guess would be a good sure. place to start. Yeah, that's great. As a, as a kid, I was, I was actually a very energetic kind of bombastic dude. Um, very theatrical, which probably had something to do with my mother who played musical theater LPs just all the time. Um, so, you know, I had a lot of energy. I was very excitable, uh, very talkative and then I don't know what happened, but eventually I, I sort of started becoming a little more reclusive, which I think is is actually quite a lot closer to to the adults I would eventually become because I don't I don't re- consider myself an extrovert at all. Um, so you know I, I read a lot as a kid. Uh, I spent a lot of time in our backyard in my head. I spent a lot of time in my head actually, and that that's a common thread. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember. <laughs> My first job was was working for a shoe outlet, and I remember being at work one day and all of a sudden realizing that I had been just standing by a rack of shoes staring out the window for like 10 minutes. <laughs> and I realized that as soon as my manager was in front of me, like looking at me very concerned, waving his hand and asking what the hell was wrong with me. Uh, so I, I spent a lot of time in my imagination. I spent a lot of time imagining who I would become. And I think that I have spent a lot of my life 
thinking about my life in my head and not actually experiencing the 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 reality of what's happening around me or maybe just kind of ignoring the reality of what's happening around me i see um but you know i always loved stories i always loved music i always loved music in a way that i could get lost in it and <laughs> sort of use music as a soundtrack for my own fantasies about you know crushes that i had or who i would become later in life or you know what it would be like if i was a pirate or a wizard um, you know, so I think, I think that, that kind of sums me up in a nutshell up until about high school. And then in high school, you know, I went through phases, went through a lot of, I think a, a lot of people go through phases, fashion phases, uh, interest phases, but, uh, and, and it was strange going to high school for me too, because I was actually homeschooled until uh, freshman year of high school and then went to a parochial, uh, a Catholic high school. Okay, this is interesting. <clears throat> I didn't know yeah. this. Oh, you didn't? Okay, what, yeah. What yeah. was the sort of impetus for, what were the reasons behind doing the homeschooling? Well, my parents just felt that, um, you know, society at large doesn't doesn't really get on board with the whole creationism thing. And, you know, it was important to sequester me away and make sure that I, you know, was indoctrinated properly. I'm just fucking with you. Uh, <laughs> no, was, no, my, yeah. my, our local public schools were dog shit. And my mother is a, uh, you know, has, is a certified teacher. And that's what she did before she had me. And okay. Yeah. She just thought, why not just educate my kids at home? And it was great. I, you know, in a lot of ways, actually wish I hadn't even gone to high school because it was so wonderful to be able to pursue my interests, uh, without any anybody kind of tying down the time limit on those things. So, you know, I went through a period where I was very interested in astronomy and I could just go to the museum in town in Lancaster, uh, Pennsylvania, where I'm from, and go to the observatory and go look at the exhibits, you know, at will, go to the library, research that, delve into it as much as I wanted to. And so I think the, the greatest thing about homeschooling for me was that it taught me to love learning. Mm. Um, and it sounds and, like you had a pretty yeah. um, supportive environment to, oh, for sure. you know, to let you, you know, to let to allow you to go off and use your imagination and to explore and whatnot. Definitely, and it was definitely something that was encouraged. I was encouraged to use my imagination and to be different, like uh -huh. to be myself, whatever that was, no matter how different that was. But I think there was an emphasis also on on actually just being being different, you know, being, being unique and finding what's unique about myself, hmm. which is kind of an interesting dynamic. And that's, I think, something very much brought on by my grandfather, who was a uh, professor and a very kind of academically elite sort of guy. <laughs> mm -hmm. And he always valued being different and being unique and your specialty and how special you are. And so it wasn't even like the typical millennial uh, train you know uh, indoctrination where you're you're told that you're special and you know everybody gets a trophy and it wasn't even that it was just that that had been sort of ingrained in my my mom's side of the family for a long time this idea of of being unique and quirky did that if I could describe my mom's yeah. family they were like the royal Tenenbaums pretty much <laughs> <laughs> sounds amazing on on paper um, yeah. what did that put pressure on you because I I can imagine that like I mean, I think we, you and I can both agree that like 
uniqueness and sort of embracing your your own sort of characteristics and and skill sets and and sort of pursuing things passionately mm-hmm. to reflect your own sort of person is is an important thing but like i can imagine like having a lot of that maybe being a little bit of pressure uh you know it, i don't i don't think i would describe it as pressure because it it wasn't ever ever anything that was forced on me mm-hmm. it was more that if i did something that was creative and unique i was praised for that Okay. And encouraged to try things that were creative and different and unique and to explore, you know, like I, I wrote a, a series when I was a kid called the mouse, the mouse brothers, which were about two mice that solved, you know, mysteries together. And so I was encouraged to try different things with that. And, you know, how old were you at that point? I was like eight, maybe. Wow. <laughs> yeah. The names of the detectives were very, uh, very, <laughs> Very polit poli- no politically incorrect. They were oh. called the blacky and whitey. Okay, uh, not understanding. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> of that, course that was offensive. Um, <clears throat> yeah, interesting. Um, so you, you know what? So let's fast forward. Let's you're in high school. You're mm-hmm. going to like you know the first time you're with a bunch of people. How did mm-hmm. how did you experience that? How what was that like? Uh, I remember the first day of freshman year, I couldn't find any of my classes and I got in the van when my mom picked me up and cried and said that I never wanted to go back. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So it was rough, you know, and it was it was rough. It wasn't rough socially and people not you, but whenever I tell people that I was homeschooled and then went to, you know, a Catholic school, people always just they really want to jump down my throat on that and say, Oh, you must have been so socially awkward because because you were educated at home. Like, did you know how to did you know how to talk to other people? (laughs) So the stereotyping is 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 really a sad thing because I think homeschooling gets a bad rep because of um, because of the way some people approach it and, you know, interacting with those. And there are weird homeschoolers and I've met weird homeschoolers. I've met homeschoolers who were convinced that Pokemon was a satanic cult message. Um, yeah, it's just unbelievable. But that wasn't me. You know, I was homeschooled because that was the best educational option for me, and it was a great experience. So, yes, I knew how to talk to people, but all of the people in that high school had had gone to middle school, even if they were in a public middle school, with at least 20 of the people in my class, you know. Right. So there were already some social groups that were formed, and I just was sort of a uh, feather in the wind. but um so it was it was strange at first and it was i think it was a good experience and kind of a wake-up call to seeing how the rest of the world handled things and you know i met some really great people one of my best friends i met in high school and but uh i the this the style of education was certainly different and i i think that I I didn't realize at the time how much I I was missing out on being able to have the kind of liberty that homeschooling gives you. But, you know, if I could go back, I wish I wish I could have had that again, because it's very different when someone's like, here, read this book as fast as you can, because we're getting tested on Monday rather than, hey, read this book because you should. And then when you're ready, we'll talk about it and, you know, you can write about it and, you know, we'll talk about what's unique about it. And just it's so much more time. It's so much more self-paced which i think is more natural but anyway yeah there's a certain um i do like i do 
if I had kids, I, I, I might look at, I mean, I, I want to support our public school systems, but I, I do also like the idea of homeschool and that it sort of gives, if done right, and, and in your case, it sounds like it was done well, gives mm-hmm. the kids a sense of uh, autonomy and mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. like not like they're being like, oh, this is something I have to do. Like, like you're almost like, it's like you're forced to, you're checking a box as opposed to, hey, this is a great piece of literature and these are like all the wonderful things that you could potentially get out of it. And like, mm-hmm. it just seems like a healthier approach to, to living. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my main qualm with the public school system is that it, that is your only option, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. In Europe there, you know, because we've been looking at Waldorf schools for, for our son. Um, That's the if Waldorf I, if I, salad? No. No. Okay. Uh, it's a style of education that's very like natural based and has a lot of the same tenets that I was raised with with homeschooling. You know, for example, they don't force kids to read, and kids could, may start reading as late as seven, uh-huh. and they 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 you know appreciate and accept that kids learn at their own pace, and that it kind of evens out. You know, once they're ten, eleven, twelve, a little older. Um, but it seems to be a really great style of education. Those kids consistently score, you know, multiple grades higher than their peers. Um, but it's just a very relaxed imagination focused style of education. But anyway, in Europe there, this is now an option. Like instead of sending your kids to a traditional public school, that's based on a factory worker model. You have the option to send your kid to a Waldorf school or, you know, a different style of of school. school. Waldorf salad school. Yeah, exactly. And uh, I wish that we had that here because I don't, I don't think the, t- you know, traditional classroom model works for everybody. And, you know, people should have options. Options are good. I, I don't um, think the traditional classroom model went, uh, worked well for me. And I, I actually went to uh, private schools early on mm-hmm. and um, I never did well in school i i felt like i was always the weird one with like weird responses to things and like weird perspectives and everyone stared at me and i always felt Uh very self-conscious and i was super super duper quiet because of it because i didn't want to that's such a shame i'm sorry to hear that no it's fine um you know i found some friends but like school was always pretty hard on me even like up until Mm -hmm. college like i felt like oh this is this isn't you know, mm-hmm. it just felt very limiting and like I always felt the sort of pressure to like be a certain way or have oh, a certain absolutely. response to things. And to be clear, I certainly felt a, a degree of that being yeah. in my Catholic high school. You know, I wasn't <laughs> I wasn't a sports player and my high school is very sports focused. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, I was definitely one of the weirdos. That's <laughs> I think how people looked at me. How did you, like, how did you, how did you deal with that being like, feeling like you're one of the weirdos? Not well. (laughs) I think I was pretty angry in my teen years. And I think that part of that was learning that the world was not, not truly a place in which you could just be whatever you want to be. And it didn't really leave room for people who wanted to do something other than the traditional you know, series of events, go to high school, go to college, get a degree, get a job, you know, build up your 401k, retire, buy a house, you know, 
if you want to do anything other than that, it was like, oh, well, you know, you're kind of ostracized and looked at strangely. And yeah, you're fringe. You're, you're an artist. You're weird. You're different. You're, um, quirky. I don't know. It's just, yeah, exactly. You're fringe. And it was frustrating to me because I felt always thought that, you know, everyone should be accepting of how everyone was and and you know the clickishness is a real thing click clicks are real um definitely existed in my high school and i was always frustrated by it you know i was always frustrated that because i wasn't of a certain status because i wasn't a sports player or something i didn't have a shot with you know the the really attractive women that were in my class you know yeah um that was always really frustrating to me and and upsetting and I think I I started getting kind of angry because of that. I think that's a perfectly natural response to those things because I I think <laughs> high school is the worst in that there are so many different sort of groupings and it's so very harsh to mm-hmm. other groups and I think yeah. a lot of that frankly still exists, you know, even in in our adult worlds. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, that anger didn't stop once I got out of high school. (laughs) Yeah. It's still there. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, do you feel like that is, like, how are you today as a, however old you are, 20-something person? 28. 28-year-old human man. Mm -hmm. How are you responding to those situations when you experience them in life are you finding healthier modes of reacting are you you know how are you responding uh i generally think i handle it a little better i mean it's not so overt now that i'm an adult because i tend to surround myself with people who are going to accept that i am the way i am but you know getting pushback is is a part of life and you look at the life of of any, you know, famous person, not saying that I'm like aiming to be a famous person, but any, any anyone whose life is well documented, who was a, an outsider, an outlier, um, and they always get pushed back and they just kind of do it, do their own thing anyway. And I think if you want to live a, an authentic life, you just have to kind of accept that um, if your authenticity do- doesn't happen to be that prescribed, you know, life model that I just mentioned that you can expect a certain degree of pushback and you have to kind of learn to just let it slide off, which is, which is hard. And the world is not built to encourage you to do something different and to live your life differently. Um, unfortunately, which is a harsh reality, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's an acceptance thing, I think to some degree. Yeah. And you Uh, said, uh, yeah, it it is acceptance. I think you're right in that pushback is going to happen because there are so many structures culturally, socially, uh, that are sort of in opposition to living your authentic life. But I think you said a really important thing and that surrounding yourself with people who accept you is a huge part of that sort of growth journey and and mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. You have to find your tribe. Yeah. Yeah. So talk to me about, you know, disconnected, that disconnected mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. this topic that you wanted to explore mm-hmm. on Yumi Empathy. I think it's a really good one. And I think 
So let's just start at the beginning. And, and, and what I mean by that is like, how in your mind does sort of quote unquote being disconnected or what does that mean to you? I guess is what I want to ask. Well, I think to illustrate this, we have to go a little forward in time from my high school years um, and through my college years to when I lived in New York city. And I think this is when, and, and, yeah, New York is really the time at which I started to feel pretty much immediately the the disconnection and to realize that it wasn't just secluded to places like New York either. It's really prevalent nationwide and culturally wide and, you know, as 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 wide as it can be. But basically the idea that modern culture and the way it's set up to be and the way that the average, you know, middle class person even lower middle class or higher middle class, just the average person in general actually lives their life is in a way that is disconnected with what their physical, natural organism is designed to do. And I believe pretty vehemently that a lot of the issues and problems we have are because we've modernized ourselves out of a natural symbiotic relationship with the natural world. Um, I remember being in New York and the first two books I read while living in New York City were Walden and A Brave New World. And it became immediately clear to me that that yes, we all had been conditioned as A Brave New World states. And that conditioning was preventing us from returning to this beautiful, very simple state that is, I think, much healthier, that is nigh impossible to get back to now because of the kind of social strictures that are set up around our day-to-day existences. So that's, that's what I mean by disconnected culture. Just the idea that, that we as, as, as a, as a people, as a human race are moving ourselves more and more out of tune with lifestyles and ways of existing that are, that are just much more healthier and that we overcomplicate things to the point of, sometimes having mental distress and physical distress and everything else. Yeah. In what ways, you know, I, I read Brave New World. <laughs> I've read Walden. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Great works. Um, mm-hmm. What In what ways are, are we doing that? Like what specific ways are we not being connected to mm-hmm. the, the things that we should be connected to? Well, I think if you look at the average American diet, that's that's one area in which you're certainly disconnected. Hmm. Um, most of our food, I forget, I just looked this up the other day for an article I was writing, but the percentage of processed food, I think, is over 60%, like in, in a grocery store. So most of the food that we are consuming is not raw organic food. It is stuff that has been injected with stuff, rubbed with stuff, um, uh, tossed in chemicals. I mean, it's just, it's not healthy. I mean, most of our food is not healthy, mm. especially here in America where we, we do spend actually the least amount of our income on food out of any country in the world, any country, any right. first world country, any third world country, um, which I think, and, and it's, and it part of, I mean, this is a whole other conversation, but part of that is I think capitalism. And part of that is because we as consumers have demanded cheap food. And so the cheap food we're getting is not nutritious food. 
Mm-hmm. But moreover, the the way that we're consuming our food is really, really odd when you look at it. I mean, even if you go 200, 300 years back, it wasn't like you went to a convenience store and everything was prepackaged like that. You know, you went to a market or you, you know, if you were wealthy, you had servants who would go to the market and get the produce for you. But it was, I mean, we didn't have all of the processing and everything that we have now. So this disconnect between where our food comes from, and again, this is like a huge topic. I'm trying not to go too in depth into it. <laughs> it's okay. But, you know, there's, there's a huge disconnection between where our food comes from and our awareness of where that food comes from and awareness of what our food is and what's happening along the supply chain. And, I mean, there's no awareness of seasonal produce. And you see the repercussions of that constantly, the obesity rate, the uh, diabetes rate, the diabetes rate in children. I mean... It's to the point where in New York, they actually tried to pass legislature against big gulps. I right. mean, it's it's insane. And, and you look at what percentage of our food is made out of corn syrup. I mean, it's just nuts. So that's just one one way in our food, which is, I think, incredibly important. I mean, it's something that all of us do every day. We all eat. And most of the food that we're consuming is not nutritious and not satisfying, not fulfilling, you know, not healthy. So... Yeah, there are a couple of things going on there. One, obviously, the the factor of the you know all the preservatives, all the processed stuff, all the chemicals mm-hmm. like that. That stuff has been proven scientifically to be bad for us physically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the other side of it, and I this is the side I want to maybe explore with you a little bit and and yeah. get your perspective on is the the value of seen sort of the process, not the process, seen like the simplicity of going to a market, you know, like a farmer's market, you know, buying your produce, you know, you know where that came from, like bringing it into mm-hmm. your kitchen, cooking it or whatever. Like there's something uh, just a little bit, little bit more seemingly pure about that or, or, honest or uh, yeah it's, you know you're involving yourself in the process and i think there that is just hugely beneficial mm-hmm. just cooking cooking food is isn't is a practice that it's actually pretty rare um but it's it's having a resurgence which is which is giving me some optimism a, a, a recent study that i read said that millennials are much more likely to cook at home which is like awesome um so I think I think some of this is going to change, but yeah, I, th- I think there's a, a lack of involvement in these processes that have been a part of being a human being for millennia that we've sort of lost because we're too busy to give a shit, basically. Mm. You know, it's like, well, when I'm working 60 hours a week, which a lot of people do, and even 40 hours a week, I think is insane, personally. You know, who has time to cook, especially when you have a kid, especially when you have side projects, when you have bills you have calls to make to insurance companies i mean the just the how busy we are as a culture because of parts of our culture that force us to have a level of busyness in order to deal with them i think i think that's a huge problem it is and you know i think a good perspective on this is that these like i am agreeing with you wholeheartedly i think that um you know, our sort of collective health physically, specifically, mm-hmm. uh, and mentally is, is um, there's, there's a lot of room for improvement. And I think Absolutely. when we are 
when we have the perspective of sort of like a, a, a cleaner, sort of pure process and getting food to our table and into our kitchens, I think there's a lot of more, there's a lot more room for empathy there because we are connecting with the farmers. We are engaging with them. We are sort of giving ourselves the experience of potentially uh, empathizing with their experience. And then we get the food in the kitchen and we, we have an experience potentially with our family where we're cooking, we're engaging with our partners, Mm -hmm. we're feeding or nourishing ourselves together. Like there's something Mm -hmm. very pure and beautiful about that. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I don't think it's completely a lost art, but I think, I think the fact that it happens pretty much on holidays is, is sort, they're sort of sad. I mean, even my parents, they talk about how in the, in the fifties and the sixties, my grandparents had the whole family over every weekend for a meal. And I just, I think there's so much power in, in sharing food together. Um, because it's something that we've done since we were cavemen, you know, mm-hmm. and something that we do so much less now. And I think there's so much value in that. So, I, yeah, I, I think food is one area in which we're disconnected. I agree. Um, mm-hmm. What are some other areas do you feel like we're disconnected? I think I think that, boy, I'm, I'm trying really hard not to rant here because there's just, I mean, I could write a book on this probably. Hey, this <laughs> on, is a safe rants. space. This is your time. Yeah. But I, I feel that, uh, just, just th- what our modern lifestyles generally demand us to do, like the, the, how much we have to do, um, how much working we do, how much time we spend commuting is disproportionate with the amount of time we should be spending relaxing and, you know, uh, helping one another and just sitting with each other. And I don't mean like sitting in a room and watching TV. I mean, like sitting in a room and eating and looking at each other in the eyes or, um, sitting around and re- you know, just being with each other in, mm-hmm. in a, in a wholesome organic way, going on a hike together. I mean, that sort of thing. Yeah. It's, 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 it's viewed as hobby. Mm. Um, I remember researching rather recently the I wanted to know who who are the happiest people on earth and people say the Danes and everything but the the happiest longest living culture on earth is is this community of Greek people I forget what the island is called where they live and their lifestyle is so incredibly simple they grow all of their own food their diet is the Mediterranean diet which is one of the healthiest diets you can have so it's just fish vegetables they drink a lot of wine they have a lot of sex well into their old age. They spend a lot of time together. They spend a lot of time walking around. They spend a lot of time outside gardening. And they're incredibly happy. There's like, like depression is not a thing <laughs> for them. Um, and they, you know, they live for a very long time, like well into their 90s. And so I look at a culture like that. And then I look at New York City and where everybody has their headphones in and is avoiding eye contact and shuttling from place to place and it's just go 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 busy 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 uh do as much as you can hustle hustle crush it you know uh Uh, get as much money as you can uh it's just like wow this is this is driving us nowhere you know um it's potentially bringing us more money 
but uh, maybe that's about Which it. Just nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, that's such a selfish aim because yeah. Yeah. the aim of getting money is to get a one up on everyone else around you. I mean, it's sure. like a, it's like teeming mass and you're trying to climb to the top. Whereas you look at this Greek Island and these old people who fuck like rabbits and drink a lot of wine and they just like, they they care so much about each other that matters so much more. And just being involved in the community is so important to them and they don't find this need to uh, distance themselves from everyone else and stand out so that they can make more money and have a better home. And, you know, it's, it's this competitiveness doesn't exist. Um, and I think that's a, a, a healthier way to exist as a human being. It sounds amazing. Wine and fucking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you had me at wine and fucking. But, yeah. you know, I, I, I agree with you. I think that um, it is troubling and it is sad and it is the world that we have that we're living in right now um i struggle sometimes with like knowing what to do about it and by that i mean like i agree like i think connecting connecting with one another is one of if not the most important aspect of uh mental health like proper mm. good curated healthy mental health mental state of being Absolutely. And, and that's been proven uh that's and been, not just mental health i think yeah. just of being a human being i mean mm -hmm. that's that should be one of your chief aims as a human being is to better the people around you mm -hmm. you know and it's not I, i'm sure it's not it's not for me and i'll and I'm, i'll admit to that mm -hmm. and i don't like that about my life and i think but i think that's true for a lot of people also not that that's an excuse either yeah, you know, it's, um, I'll just maybe uh, play the devil's advocate. It's overwhelming. Like, I think mm -hmm. we, uh, we, as human species, are drawn to technology. We, we are drawn mm -hmm. to convenience. We are drawn to, you know, per potentially um, sort of in, in place of connecting, disconnecting from ourselves, um, you know, in either not, you know, not associating with our feelings or abusing ourselves through drugs and alcohol or whatever it may be. Like, mm -hmm. we are so entrenched in this system that makes it very easy for us to not be connected. Mm -hmm. How do we, how do we, how do we bump up against that? How do we oppose it? <laughs> The more and more I think about that question, because I think about that question known like every week. Sure. <laughs> at least yeah, a couple of I times. I can tell. The more and more I think about that and the more and more I look at even even my my happier existence here in Sacramento, which isn't the insanity that it was in New York and wasn't this depressed state of mind I had there. The more and more I think about it, I really think the best thing for us to do to really affect future generations and to make a real change in how we how we organize ourselves as people is to opt out and and by opt out i mean i mean actually pare down our lives to the bare essentials which in and of itself is such a huge movement now and i think there's a reason mm -hmm. i think there's a reason that millennials are cooking more i think there's a reason that minimalism is such a thing i think there's a reason that 
all of a sudden we're seeing this backlash against smartphones where people are really concerned about smartphone and tech addiction. But I think, I think, I think trying to find a middle ground with our technology and trying to, you know, do yoga and, and things like that and have more mindfulness and all this stuff to sort of, you know, negate some of the negative effects of living in a society that is inherently narcissistic and selfish is really not, is just putting a bandaid on things. And so I think the best thing to do, and it's, it's impossible for a lot of people, or they think it's impossible, or it's just too difficult for them to commit to is, is to opt out, like to go live with the earth to, you know, join a commune or, you know, whatever you want to call it, create an alternative living kind of situation where you're out in nature, you're growing your own food, you're living in symbiosis with the planet and the environment. Mm -hmm. And you're just focusing on your community and inviting other people to join that way of life. And I think it's going to get to a point with our culture and with the unhappiness and the drug overdosing and everything else where more and more people are going to start to do that. And they're going to seek a more authentic, peaceful way of existing that isn't frenetic and, you know, frazzled. Um, and I think I think that is I, th I think that in some ways anarchy is the solution. Mm -hmm. But I don't think that means throwing Molotov cocktails. I think it just means saying, you know what, I don't want to be a part of this anymore. Yeah. And living somewhere where you can have a, a, a real a real life in which there are, you know, I don't know, even even the, the use of smartphones, I just don't see any need for it in in a more realistic living situation where you're connecting with people like you don't need one, you know, mm -hmm. maybe a phone for emergency calls, but you don't need to be having a smartphone in your pocket if you're living in an authentic, true way that way. I was listening to um, a, a podcast, uh, Dax Shepard's new podcast, actually, and he had his his life partner, Kristen Bell, you know, famous people on. Mm -hmm. And Kristen was talking about, and I just love this, she was talking about how she she wants to reduce suffering mm -hmm. in any, in, in all facets. And so, you know, that's suffering for herself, that's suffering for the people in her life. Uh, uh, that's suffering for people of this of this planet, mm -hmm. and um, you know to to reduce suffering in in sort of pursuit of happiness, fulfillment, um, mm -hmm. bettering others. And I think that's I think that's a great perspective, something that I try to have. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to continue sort of playing the devil's advocate, and I, I feel like I'm sort of doing this because I. 100% agree with you, David. I, I, I think that we are too disconnected and it's causing and wreaking a bunch of havoc on our physical selves, our mental selves, our relationships, our um, sort of just being in touch with our emotions. Mm -hmm. And that is, um, that's very sad. Mm-hmm. But I also am bumping up against the the practicality of the situation. Like, mm -hmm. I hear you. I would love to live on a commune, and I would totally do so, um, if not for these things, right? And we'll just put, like, these things in quotes because there's always excuses, right? Yeah. What are, this, what are the little steps that we can take? Because... You know, for the listeners, I want to I, I want to maybe give them some takeaways in, in terms of, you know, mm -hmm. obviously you and I, we're not 
we're not experts at anything. Right. We're trying yeah. to live our best selves and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, do things at, in a way that, that um, is healthy and all these things that are important to us. Mm-hmm. But I want to understand, like, maybe maybe there's some little things that we can start doing to mm-hmm. be more connected to ourselves and to the people in our lives. And I want to give the listeners a little bit of that. Yeah, you know, and, and I, I, of course, understand that if it was that simple, <laughs> if everybody could just throw up their hands and go live in a commune, they would. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think there are ways that you can exist in the modern world and uh, live a little more authentically and be a little more connected with the people around you. One of those ways, I think, is is to evaluate your own life um, and to evaluate your own life without finding the need to to post about what you're doing on Instagram. <laughs> I don't know. I just find that that not to be the best way to, to share sometimes. But I think by evaluate your own life, I mean like minimalizing. And I think that's important. I think it's important to to look at what you have and and ask how much you really need hmm. and to... And that's a and that's a lifelong pursuit, and it's crazy to me that that it is. I mean, when you think about it, that's insane that that pe- that it's like a, such a struggle for people to get rid of things they don't need. But it really is. And you know, I come from a family of pack rats, you know, where it's the keep everything mentality. But I think I think it brings a lot more peace to have a, a clutter free life and to have a, a cleaner living space. And so I just think going through your possessions and asking how much you really need and paring down your wardrobe. I think. I, that that has been somewhat proven to bring a lot of people much more happiness um, mm-hmm. because it becomes so much less of a concern and um, you know you're you're also detracting from the mass consumer culture by not buying new clothes every month you know it's just so unnecessary so in that way I think connecting more with our food system is very important I think reaching out to people to be a part of the shared experience of food especially can be a very powerful thing. I personally have been trying to have more just dinners where I just invite friends over for dinner. Um, and it's been admittedly a lot harder to do since my son come, came along. But now that things are simmering a little more um, in Babyland, I think it's a little easier to, you just, ha- you know, you make dinner and you have people over and um, yeah, you talk. I like that one. I think connecting with each other without a phone around at all for a long period of time is really good. Mm-hmm. Um I have been trying every Sunday to just have my phone off for the entire Sunday. And I think if you can get to the point where you do that once a week, just to remind yourself what it's like to live without having a device of, of quote unquote connection attached to you, tethered to you all day is, is really important. And then I think beyond that also just evaluating how much you're actually using your phone. Um, I, I know we shared this, I shared this with, you know, our, our work team, there's a great app called Moment, which tracks how much time you're on your phone. Um, it's kind of funny that you need an app to, um, <laughs> you know, to to figure out how much time you're spending and, and hopefully uh, decrease how much time you're spending on your phone. I recommend it highly. I think it's important to know. And I think what's scary is that I've told a lot of people about this app and a lot of people have said, I don't want to get that because I don't want to know, uh-huh. which is just... I think really awful, like yeah. really, you know, in, indicates just how bad it is. I mean, that's, that's what, that's what addicts say. They're like, I don't want to know if I have a problem pretty much, you know, I don't want to admit to this. Right. And admitting is a first step. And I think most of us are addicted to our phones in some way. I know that 
and I noticed this as soon as I started removing my phone from my Sundays, I actually have a reflex known where my hand will just start patting my pocket to start sliding my phone out which without even thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's not healthy. So I think getting control of your, your usage habits and setting boundaries and maybe having a time at night where you turn your phone off, get an alarm clock. I think that helps a lot to not have the first thing you wake up to be your phone. Um, I think that helps. And I think also setting intentional time to be with other human beings without devices and agreeing on that as a group is important. And I don't just mean dinner. I think that's a great start. But I think, you know, setting a time where, hey, we're all going to go to the park and we're agreeing that no one's bringing their phone with them today because we just want to be with each other. I think that's hugely helpful. Um, So I think just finding ways to connect with people that are incredibly organic and just removing factors that are distracting um, are are important. So those are some of the ways I think that people can start to connect more with one another um, besides running off and, you know, opting out and joining a commune, which, which I actually think is the ultimate solution. <laughs> <laughs> well, we've talked about that extensively. Um, yeah. Uh, you know, cause it is one of my life aspirations uh, as mm-hmm. well. Um, you know, I, I, those are all amazing things. And I personally want to st- try to do more because I enjoy cooking myself mm-hmm. as well. And I, I, I like the idea of having more sort of like, you know, dinner gatherings and stuff. Cause I always, it's funny w- humans, we, we are so, um, a easily distracted, but like most importantly, we so are easily just forgetful of the, the value of things. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, like, I go out for, like, a hike or a run or what have mm-hmm. you. Um, and, you know, I don't have my phone with me. Mm-hmm. Usually, sometimes I'll listen to music, but usually I don't have my phone with me. And I always get so much, so much out of that, you know, one hour or what have you. Mm-hmm. And it, it just fills me up in all the right ways mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. we're talking about. And then it's so easily for, for, forgotten, sometimes Mm -hmm. i'm just like i go back to my phone or or whatever it may be like we we forget and i don't and i think we forget because we're so accustomed to these distractions or these tools of disconnection that that -hmm. are in that are so sort of ingrained in our culture Mm -hmm. you know so you know potentially maybe just having more of those experiences you know just making us more used to those experiences of connection Mm -hmm. is is a good sort of start it's an indicator as to how badly we need to be doing these things that it is uncomfortable to do them Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. when i started turning my phone off on sundays or even just putting my phone away for hours i noticed and i felt uncomfortable because it was a change and but it's necessary you know it really is necessary to 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 rediscover how to do that and back to what you were saying about running i think that physical exercise and you know being in the moment physically is so important and i think i think that's why yoga is so important is because it's about learning to just be in the moment to mm-hmm. not be in your head at all and to just be experiencing life um which is which is a very childlike way in the best of meanings of experiencing i think when, when you can just be in that moment and just absorb it and enjoy it and love it for what it is. And that is what, that is the act of living. Like being in your head is not, that's not actually living. That's 
um, experiencing a fantasy or something else. And sometimes it's necessary to think. I'm not saying don't think, but to to be physically present, I think is is has lost meaning. And I think that's why people have returned to yoga and you know returned to running. And more and more people are getting outdoors. And REI is more popular. And oh, I, think, yeah. I think these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's why that's such a popular brand and all these outdoorsy brands. Yeah. Um, but again, that's like, that's another thing that's also uncomfortable. <laughs> like, it's uncomfortable for people who have never camped and never hiked to go do those things. I, I talk to people all the time who were, you know, inspired by like an Instagram post of someone like making a pour over by a mountain. And we're like, yeah, I'm going to like get outside. And then they're like, I really don't like it you know, in nature. I don't like hiking. It's because it's uncomfortable. It's new. Mm-hmm. It's not something they're unused to. Um, which is, again, to me, just another indicator that that's what you should be doing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. Um, and I'm all, you know, I... I s- struggle with, you know, so I run this show, You, Me, Empathy, mm-hmm. <laughs> that that, mm-hmm. you know we're talking about and and mm-hmm. the listeners are listening to and you know it's a show about you know it is a show about connecting with one another and mm-hmm. and you know a- attempting to be our best selves and and present and in the moment and um vulnerability and empathy and all these things that I feel like are a huge part of what we're talking about mm-hmm. and at the same time you know the 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 pull that I'm feeling personally to, oh, I got to like, you know, get people, I got to get more listeners. I got to like get more mm-hmm. people into this. And that's a, you know, I, that's a good thing. Like, you know, connecting with more people and getting people to listen to this show, which I believe deeply in. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, like that brings me onto social media, you know, and stuff like that. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so how do you... Like, how do you find a balance there? And I'm just looking for just advice for myself at this point. <laughs> I, that is, it's really hard. It's, it's kind of a catch 22, isn't it? You yeah, have yeah. this, this great show, which, which I also believe in, and I think is important for people to listen to. And you're trying to reach out in a digital way, which, which to me is not the most efficient way of, of literally connecting with somebody. But it is a way to connect with people who you might not have been able to otherwise. And so there's power in that. And I think it's important. But I think just setting boundaries for yourself around using social media to do that is important in this case. And same thing goes for me, you know, working on a digital team where any time of day I can jump on our Slack channel and see messages, new messages pop up. And I think it's important to set boundaries around that because... You know, me personally, I usually try and finish my work day by early afternoon so that I can be with my son for the rest of the day. And if I'm not really intentional and careful and pretty much just leave my phone in my room, I will be checking Slack messages and, you know, looking at work things right. while I'm with him, which feels incredibly wrong. Right. Um, and so I think I think having more intentionality around using technology, if if you're going to be using it is important. But I think, uh, unfortunately, I think uh, uh, most of us don't have uh, appropriate boundaries. And I think that will change. I think that will change. And again, I think that this sudden awareness of social media and technology addiction um, 
is really an indicator of, of people becoming aware of, of the problem and which is the first step. Um, yeah. Yeah. 12 yeah. steps. Great program. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Pretty it much. Is. Uh, actually, Tony and I on a previous episode, I forget which, we talked about the 12 steps program and he was mm-hmm. just sort of praising it for its, um, its power and simplicity and stuff. And I, I agree. Mm-hmm. I've, I've, um, I think I was like, so this may be divulging too much, but this is the show. Um, <laughs> when I was, I guess, a teenager, um, I got like back to back, like over the course of like a couple months, like minor, minor in possession. Uh, really? yeah. Citations from police, you know, officers. And I had to, the second time I had to go to, um, possession of what, what, what do you mean? Of awesomeness. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Of alcohol. It's just alcohol. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And so I had to go to a 12 step program, uh, like court, huh. court sort of appointed. And uh, it was actually really interesting and fascinating. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I learned a lot through that, that process about just the mind and mm-hmm. the way we sort of. Uh, accept one another and it's it's a it's a, it's just a great um if you haven't read the 12 steps listeners I, I encourage you to do so it's a great sort of just based learning tool for accepting stuff mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah anyways i don't know why i brought that up no that that makes that's applicable <laughs> um no i think i think more and more people are going to need a kind of 12-step program to you know get themselves unaddicted to their tech Mm-hmm. which is crazy um right. and then i of course i always wonder how much of that is really the answer and how much better would it be to just kind of have a more biblical approach you know the whole if your left hand sins cut it off thing <laughs> <laughs> just like why don't we just not have this <laughs> and sometimes i think that would just be a lot better um now, and I noticed you're that not, too. You're not with, advising us to cut our own hands no, off. Please don't advising do us to just get rid of cell phones. Uh, I don't know that I'm necessarily advising you to do that either. That's the <laughs> thing is it's such a pull, isn't it? Because it's, yeah. it's, and that is, uh, that is kind of the heart of the issue, isn't it? That, that in order to exist in the culture we live in, we have to right. pretty much have these things that maybe we don't want to have, which we, is a kind of violence in and of itself when you think about it. It is. It is. We're, we're, it's like we have no choice in the matter. We don't. We don't. That's, and that's scary to me. And that's why I think, I think actually the solution is to be more drastic and to, you know, quote unquote, opt out, as I mentioned. Yeah. Yeah. Now, <laughs> um, you know, barring any sort of uh, apocalypses, right? What, you know, in your life, David, you know, obviously you're, you're, you know, you're, you've already talked about some of the things, you know, dinners and food and, and things like that yes. and having Sundays without your phone, like mm-hmm. is, you know, you've already mentioned, you know, commune living, <laughs> like, is that something that mm-hmm. your partner would be open to? I think so. I think so. But the, 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 the issues that she always comes up against are, uh, well, money is one thing, of course, but when you look at how cheap land can be had for, and you know, again, the point of living in a communal situation or a small community situation. Cause I'm not talking about like 
this is wouldn't be a commune for like any religious or uh, spiritual reason. This would just be for you know living intentionally, right? Um, in a certain lifestyle. Uh, if you split, you know, a, a pretty decent quantity of land between like ten families, it, it ends up being pretty pretty freaking inexpensive, right? And so I think it's it's more possible than a lot of people think. Um, and then, of course, her other objection is always the the health thing and the, you know, having access to doctors nearby and hospitals nearby. But, you know, I think I think there are trade-offs and I think that's one that's worth it. I mean, if you're living in a way that you believe strongly is more more clean and more authentic, then I think it's worth the kind of risk. In much the way that, you know, when I started flying, that's that's the kind of conclusion I came to because I knew that I was essentially risking my life whenever I went flying. And, you know, this is a different story, obviously, but, you know, I, I came to terms with that. I was like, it's worth it, you know. So you decide what's worth it sometimes. And um, so those are my arguments <laughs> to her objections. But those I think we'll arguments. get there eventually. Yeah, I hope you do. And I, I, I'd like to, too. I, too. Um, mm-hmm. I think, like, I like what you said about the presence aspect of all of this mm-hmm. in, in terms of living our best lives. And that, that is a running theme on this show because being present, being in it, like that's, mm-hmm. that's how we are connecting with our feelings, our emotions, ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's how mm-hmm. we're able to like develop the sort of mindsets and the tools to, most sort of beneficially and wholly connect with the world around Mm -hmm. us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think it's necessary now more than ever to have a practice that reaffirms that, which again, Mm -hmm. yoga is a great way to do that. Running is a great way to do that. But I would strongly encourage anyone who feels that they don't have a practice for reinserting themselves into the actual existence that they have you know feeling what it is to just be in the moment and feel their own body feel their own breath to seek that out because i think that is especially if if you're continuing to live in a very modern existence i think it's absolutely critical right now yeah and it could just be like 10 minutes of meditation or absolutely like it doesn't have to be insane for like a 20 minute walk you know Mm -hmm, uh mm -hmm. something like that It, it it can be very um like to get to that space, like yeah, it can be challenging sometimes. But like sometimes, mm-hmm. just a little bit, a little bit of time can get you there if you're, if you're intentional mm-hmm. and and you mean it. Yeah, and then there's always the option to just smash yourself in with a hammer, you know. Yeah, always there. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's uh, option always open to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to me when I, I I go to yoga and I'm in yoga and I uh, it is so hard to turn my head off. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, the chattering monkey—they call it. It's incredible how difficult it is to just just be in the moment and not think about anything. That is so hard. Um, but I think I think getting closer to that has brought me a lot of happiness. So, yeah, it takes practice. Um, <laughs> it definitely does. In episode ten, uh, you know, I talk with uh, Jordana Reem, and she's she teaches meditation and yoga um, in Thailand, and. Mm-hmm. She she reminded me that like because that morning of that recording like I did some meditation because I was feeling some anxiety and she reminded me that like you know it takes time uh you know if you let your mind wander 
just gently guided back, you、mm-hmm. know, to yourself, you know, and、uh, the more you do it, the better you'll get at it.、Mm-hmm. Yeah.、Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's it's a learned behavior like anything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think another for me another、uh, important aspect of of being more connected is just listening. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and I think like I keep bringing this up on the show, but I think listening is such a huge part of empathy and connecting because you are forcing yourself to, if you're really truly listening,、mm-hmm. you are connecting. You、mm-hmm. are listening、Absolutely. to that person's story. You are empathizing. You are putting yourself in their shoes, and、mm-hmm. uh, you're there for them, connecting in the in the moment.、Mm-hmm. And actually, that just that reminded me of a point I wanted to make earlier. I think I think it's important for us to become more comfortable with silence, also,、mm-hmm. which is a kind of listening. And I, I mean, actually, just sitting there and not neither of you saying anything,、sure. not even necessarily playing music. Yeah, you know, I have, I you know, when I have friends over for dinner, if the conversation lulls, I turn around and of course they're on their phone. Yeah, but I think I think silence is important because sometimes it's a way of noticing something. You look at someone, you're quiet, and you and you all of a sudden hits you that something's up with them. You know, something's on their mind, and maybe that leads you to something important that you wouldn't have noticed otherwise. But yeah, I think silence is important. It's important to just become comfortable with with not saying anything. That that's okay. You know, it's okay、yeah. to just like be sitting there and eating. Yeah, you know, like look at each other and smile. It was good food.、Mm, yeah. Don't say anything for ten minutes. It's totally cool. <laughs> no, I agree. I think that's a really good point. I I I try to remind myself of that too. You know, like it's so easy to you know reach for our phones or、uh, you know start getting in your own own head and thinking uh, uh, I gotta I gotta keep the conversation going or、uh, yeah oh I know they're not they don't like me for whatever reason you know but, yeah. Um, They're not saying anything. Something's wrong. Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, that's obviously our insecurities and yeah, our sort of、uh, we're just so used to the noise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I remember、um, a couple of years ago. I so I usually listen to music when I'm on my bike. I usually li- listen to music all day long. I just I like to listen to lots of music. And、uh, one week I decided I was like, you know, I'm just like not going to listen to music while I do my bike commute to work for the next couple weeks. And it was it was incredible. It was incredible how much I'd missed. And sometimes just like being existing in the silence and moving in the quiet and just like the s- sounds around you can be like really meditative.、Mm-hmm. So,、um, and and it's and when you like when you look at any public place in our culture, there's always sound. You know, I'm talking about any restaurant, any mall, any shop, always playing music.、Kids、Gotta、screaming. have music. Yeah, except bookstores. Thank God. Oh yeah, I'm just thankful for bookstores who are okay, <laughs> just not playing music. But、um, yeah, it's amazing. There's like always, there's always got to be music. We always need a backing track, and、mm-hmm. I think that that kind of frazzles us more than we realize. Yeah, I like to.、Uh, I'm I'm listening to podcasts a lot because I、mm-hmm. I think they're you know I just love listening to people speak about interesting things, but. I do like to, from time to time, like if I'm in my car, just turn off everything and just, just、mm-hmm. be, just、Absolutely. be in the in the Southern California traffic, yeah,、um, and yeah.、Uh, and just be, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I think that uh, sometimes when you just be that way, you notice things you wouldn't have otherwise, you know? I agree. Like, uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah. Like maybe someone who could, could use, like, you asking how they are, like, even if you don't know them. Hmm. Talking to strangers, I, I, I think that's something we could, we could stand to, to do a little better with. Hmm. Just get a little better with just reaching out to people who something's up, but, you know, we don't say anything because we have our phone in or something, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned New York and everyone being on their phones and, and mm-hmm. you know, headphones in and stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's about, that's the same everywhere, really. Oh, um, for sure, yeah. You know, to a certain extent. I remember mm-hmm. when I lived in New York, I I played this game with myself where I would try to walk as fast as I can, like do like a speed walk, mm-hmm. but also like use the traffic on the sidewalk as sort of like um, sort of slalom poles type of situation. So I'm getting as close to them as possible, but like uh-huh. curving my body like a skier type of situation. It was fun. That's awesome. It was fun. It's funny. Um, I bumped into a few strangers that did not like it on a happy oh, occasion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But um, well, I think that I think that was a good sort of exploration into our disconnected <laughs> culture, and I think we it's a heavy conversation. I I, I think. think it is. Yeah, and I I'm really glad it's a necessarily that, one, but yeah. yeah, I think it's necessary. You're right, and I'm glad you brought it to me because I think it's a huge part of uh just the human condition mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. um you know ultimately that's what this show is about so i i do appreciate it and i think we gave a lot of good i'm tooting our own horn now but i think we got to gave a lot of good sort of little things that we can do to maybe connect a little bit more and yeah doing yeah. so i feel we believe and i certainly believe that you know will make us happier and more fulfilled and 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 you know all that good stuff yeah i think i think if there's one takeaway that that the listener should should ponder or would be encouraged to ponder it would just be to to think about what's the most important thing in our lives and to maybe consider uh if we're really putting all of our attention into what's most important and all of our presence and all of our time and all of our energy into what what are truly important things. Yeah. And indeed. I think I think that sheds a lot of light. Totally. Well, um, as we start to wrap up, we always end the show uh, talking about our empathy heroes. All uh, right. Is there an empathy hero you want to mention? This is catching me off guard. An empathy hero. Um, Clearly, you don't who... listen to the show, David. <laughs> someone who 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 is empathetic yeah let me explain so uh someone in your life either either you know you know personally real fiction you know an author you've read what have Mm -hmm. you who is doing good work in terms of being an empathetic human connecting um being vulnerable uh being compassionate and kind you know all these things someone who you know you you look up to in in those ways Do you want me to go first? Is, yeah, why don't you go first? <laughs> <laughs> sure. This is, this is harder than I thought it would be. <laughs> so, uh, my empathy here this week is an author 
who I love, uh, named Lydia Millet. She's written a number of books. One of my favorites is Oh Pure and Radiant Heart. Uh, go read that, and I'll, I'll link it in the show notes. But um, there's a quote of hers that I like, and she says, quote, It is not learning we need at all. Individuals need learning, but the culture needs something else. The pulse of light on the sea, the warm urge of huddling together to keep out of the cold. We need empathy. We need the eyes that still can weep. Mm-hmm. And I think that's uh, just a great sort of Beautiful. example of what we're talking about, connecting with one another mm-hmm. and being sort of connected with uh, our natural world as mm-hmm. humans. Mm-hmm. So, uh, my empathy hero, uh, I think I will have to go with my girlfriend, actually, um, Tyler. She has a way of looking at people that is a lot more objective <laughs> than I often, I am, I can be quite critical and harsh, um, which is something I'm working on. Uh, but she has a way of looking at people that, that really examines why someone may be behaving a certain way. And it usually has nothing to do with me. Mm. And so I'll come to her with a situation and, you know, someone who irritated me and, or, you know, some guy who cut me off and she just, she has a way of letting it wash off and not taking it personally that I admire and that I think I've learned from in our relationship together and that I hope I'm still learning from. That's lovely. I think that's a great, great lesson. Something we can all get better at. Yeah. Yeah. She, she has really taught me that it is not, it is not the thing itself that will cause you pain and suffering. It is the way that you take it and the way that you think about it and let it marinate or don't or throw it away and go do something else, you know? Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been an important lesson that she's still, she's still teaching me every day. Awesome. That's great. I love that a lot. Well, David, uh, before we wrap up, um, is there a place where people, uh, <laughs> now, now that I'm saying this, like, I'm feeling like this is not something I should be doing, but is there <laughs> a, pa- a place where people can connect with you online or in person? Um, yeah, you know what? People can call me. <laughs> I-, I wonder about the wisdom of just giving out my phone number on a podcast. Right. You don't need to do that. You can. You don't have to well, mention. You know what? Fuck it. Fuck it. I'm. You know what? I'm going to give people my cell phone number, and if if they have a thought and they want to talk about it to me, they can just call me. What if we just did that? I Is think, this a bad idea? I. Th- hey, it's your it's your journey, sir. Huh. <laughs> you can do whatever you want. I I think that. Um, I will just say that that uh well i mean i don't know i don't know how to do this <laughs> you know what i'll just okay I, I will give my uh my email address there you go with that that works and people can email me and if we mutually decide that it's worth a phone call then uh we can talk because i would love to hear what people think of this and my ideas and you know um you know if they were interested in signing up for my commune cult <laughs> um, you know, I'd love to hear from them. Um, so my email address is David M as in Michael Grabowski, G R A B as in Bravo, O W S K I as in India at gmail.com. And people can email me there and we can talk. Awesome. Well, I, I will say that, that 
you know, in addition to David's uh, sort of exciting email opportunity, um, <laughs> uh, you know, he's also, uh, you know, uh, he composes music for film. He rode a, a trike, which is a terrifying little airplane thing across the United States. He's a he's an inspiring human. So if you do uh, email him, which I encourage you to do so and connect with him on that level, um, you know, maybe there's some places to start. Yeah, yeah. Oh, also, my website is up now. Ooh. Um, fucking finally. And uh, I have not put song samples up yet, but that's actually what I'm doing today. So when is this episode going to release? Several weeks, I assume? Uh, yeah, it won't be released uh, until uh, um, April. Okay, well, yeah. there will be definitely songs on there by then. So it's davidgrabowski.com. Awesome. Yeah. Cool. Well, uh, yeah. listeners, um, as I always say... Well, first, I want to say say thank you to David for for being on Yumi Empathy. It's uh, it's a delight chatting with you and exploring the human condition with my Trundle Bundle. <laughs> no, thank you so much, Trundle Bundle, for for having me on and uh, willing being willing to listen to me rant about everything that's wrong with our society. <laughs> um, but I, you know, this is an important conversation and um, a worthwhile one, and I am delighted that you considered me worthy to be a part of it. So thank you. Oh, absolutely, anytime, my friend. And to you, listeners, I will say this: as I always do, I'm here, you're here. We're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's you, me, empathy. Oh